back in the pulpit. And uh, there for a while, I wondered if that would ever happen. But uh, we are thrilled to be here tonight. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 23. You know, Psalm 23 is perhaps one of the favorite psalms in all of the Bible. It's such a favorite psalm that many times we read it or hear it and we just kind of flow over the words and uh, it doesn't really mean anything. I want to do something tonight that's a little different. I want to look, before we get to the psalm, I want to look at the writer of the psalm. We think King David, he what a great king. He was a godly man. Well, I want to look at some other things about David. And Psalm 23 will come to light to show his deep, deep love. For his God. So as we read it, I hope you can see in your mind's eye the warrior David taking time out, putting his sword down, sitting under a tree and taking his lute or whatever pipe he had and and, uh, play a sweet melody of worship to his Lord. The position of this psalm is interesting. It comes after the Messianic psalm of Psalm 22. There are no green pastures in Psalm 22. There are no still waters in Psalm 22, and it's only after you hear uh, the prophetic words that Jesus would utter on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that we come to the Lord is my shepherd. We must, by experience, know the value of the shedding of blood before we can claim him as our shepherd. David was perhaps the greatest king Israel had. As a youth, David was a shepherd. And uh, we read in 1 Samuel 16 where he was keeping the sheep and his brothers came to him and said, come on, we need to go down and see if you're the man going to be the king. And it's here we see God's grace policy that promoted David. Understand this. David miserably failed over and over and over and over again. He failed after discovering his personal destiny of going to be king. He willfully sinned and lied, and because of that lie, the entire city of Nob was destroyed by King Saul. Eighty-five priests were put to death. In 1 Samuel 21, he faked madness and made the enemy believe that he was crazy, and as a result, hundreds died. In 2 Samuel 6, he did not honor the word of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David failed his responsibility. He should have been leading the troops, but he stayed home in Jerusalem. And as a result, there was an unnecessary disaster on the battlefield, yet they won the battle. And while in Jerusalem, he ended up in shocking sins. He committed adultery, 
got a man drunk, had that man killed, and then willfully lied about it for over a year. In 1 Samuel 21, David rejected the promises of God and even questioned God's faithfulness. Joab, his chief of staff, warned him about this unbelief, but he did it anyway. How often we're warned about something, we hear about something, and we know which way to go, and yet we don't take that way. We do our own thing and pay the price. And of course, his failure to forgive completely his son Absalom David had character and integrity, but he also was flawed and failed miserably time after time. There are many times that David worshipped his God with all of his heart. Read the Psalms. Most Psalms begin with his problem, and by the end of the Psalm, he's trusting God. And you read that over and over again. In the book of Psalms, David had two wives. In addition, he would have ten mistresses. And he would take more wives, according to 2 Samuel 5. And all the while, polygamy was against the Mosaic law. David made his mistakes. He had trouble with his children, but he would go to the Lord and express his pain and his fear and his confusion and anger, and he was open to the Lord, honest with the Lord. And so, what was God's assessment of such a passionate expression of humanity? Here in Acts chapter 13, God raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified, saying... I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. It almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? After all the sin that David was involved in, God said he's a man after my own heart who will do all my will. David's faith in God was deep, and yet he was also deeply flawed. His sins were usually as visible as his victories, but he repented and came back to God and who he loved and served. I think maybe that's why everybody likes to read about David, because he's just like you and me. It invites us all as suffering sinners to listen to his story, to discover fresh hope and to see that in fulfilling our personal sense of destiny or the will of God, if you want to call it that, we ought not get shocked when we see others and even in ourselves knowing the will of God and failing to do it. It tells me this, God never gives up on us. Doesn't give up on you, doesn't give up on me. And so after all the negatives about the life of David and experiencing God's grace and his mercy and forgiveness, he gives us Psalm 23 where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's David, the flawed man, claiming the Lord is his shepherd. The 23rd Psalm was known by so many people, many of millions of people have memorized it. Thousands of preachers have used it to bring comfort to people. For some, these words that I just read are the last words they will hear in life. And even some, they're the last words people have spoken in this life. This psalm is inexhaustible in truths, and it holds truths about our Lord, and to think that he is, the Lord is our shepherd. It's just not a statement. He is our shepherd. It's mind-boggling. Four things tonight about my shepherd. First of all, he is a permanent shepherd. Verse 1, the Lord is. Not was, not will be. The Lord is. Years ago, Sherry and I came down to Huntsville, and we sat at the Meadow Hills Church under the preaching of Dr. Zaspel. And it was, and we never had met the man before. I mean, and he preached on these three words the Lord is. And he started in Genesis, and he ended in Revelation. And I thought he would never get done. Because he preached an hour to an hour and a half on the eternality of God. But I made up my mind. Because they had some crazy rules up at Tennessee Temple. And, and I made up my mind. Whatever the rules, we'll obey the rules but we're going to drive to Huntsville. Whether I'm the youth pastor there or not, we're going to drive to Huntsville, and we're going to sit under this guy. What a message. Well, I'm not going to preach an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 15 minutes, but just hang on. He is a permanent shepherd. The Lord is. The word Lord in the English is translated of... of, uh, of the great Old Testament personal name of God, first disclosed to Moses at the burning bush. And the name means I am who I am. It's repeated 4,000 times in the Old Testament. It refers to God's eternality and timelessness on one hand and his self-sufficiency on the other. God is self-sufficient. That means he needs no power because he's all-powerful. He needs no wisdom because he's omniscient. He doesn't need to be worshipped, helped, or served. 
nor is he accountable to anyone. He answers only to himself. The eternality of God means he's timeless, which means that God is always the same. He was, how he is now is how he was yesterday and how he'll be tomorrow and for the rest of eternity. You know, if he's not eternal, then he's not immutable either because time changes people and God's a person. So time would change him if he wasn't outside of time. Because he's eternal, he is unchangeable. Moses understood that because in Psalm 90 he declared, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Therefore, you can understand this. When the Bible tells us he loves the world, he will always love the world. Because he's unchangeable. He doesn't change his mind. When he tells the believer that he'll always be with us, he will never forsake us, understand that he will always be with us and never forsake us because he can't change. And so when you go through the dark days in your life, understand God is still there. The same God that you learned about and trusted in for your salvation. He's a permanent shepherd. Secondly, he's a personal shepherd. For David said, the Lord is my shepherd. David identifies this by way of pronouns. In David's mind, it was always my Lord and I. The relationship is intensively individual and personal. Which tells me that it's not selfish to think of what kind of personal relationship we have with our Lord. Consider these thoughts. With me was poverty and emptiness, but with him are riches and abundance. My poverty once made him poor, but now his riches make me rich. So never again need I want. I was often weary, and he was always strong. Once my weariness made him weary, but now his strength makes me strong. I, know, I only knew of rough and noisy places, but he knows the soft and quiet places. Once he came to the rough and noisy world with all the clamoring around the cross and all the clamoring amongst the Pharisees and everyone that wanted to hurt him and destroy his ministry. Now I dwell in the pastures of tender grass and besides the waters of quietness with him. I was once hungry and thirsty in a desert place, but in him is all the fullness of God. Once he became thirsty for me and he cried out on the cross, I thirst. Now he's brought me to a land of plenty and refreshes my soul continually. 
And it's all because of that personal relationship that we have with our shepherd. David was a flawed man. This didn't do away with David's sin. But David was a flawed man, and yet he had this wonderful, wonderful, personal, intimate relationship with his shepherd. He was a permanent shepherd. He is a personal shepherd. Thirdly, he's providing shepherd. And David here gives seven things that he provides. We're only going to look at four because I don't have time. Seven blessings which every child of God should shout within his heart, glory to God. He provides, first of all, rest. He maketh me to lie down. Sheep don't lie down easily. From the testimony of a true shepherd who tended thousands and thousands of of sheep over decades in his life, wrote this, unless four requirements are made, the sheep will not do well. One, they have to be free from fear. You know one of the greatest sins, mental attitude sins, the child of God has is fear. Fear of what's around us. Fear as we watch our country. Fear if we look at Washington, D.C. Fear about everything. And yet God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. But the sheep have to be free from fear before they'll sit down and lay down. Because of social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down if there's friction between other sheep. A few years ago, my wife and I were in New Zealand with Bob McLean, and he lived on a hill, and you walk out his back door, you could walk down to a fence, and there was some sheep back there. In fact, there's sheep all over New Zealand. And there were some that were laying down. And I noticed the ones that weren't laying down, they were fighting each other biting each other, going after each other. And while others were relaxed and spread out and laying down, there were those that were just at each other all the time. If tormented by fleas and parasites, the sheep will not lie down. Only when they're free from the pests can they relax. And if the sheep are hungry or lacking food, they will not lie down. So here's what the shepherd had to face. He had to face fear, friction, fleas, and famine. Write it down. Teach it to your kids. Sheep must be free from each of these to be content. Only the shepherd can provide the trust and peace and deliverance and pasture that's needed to free the sheep from that which hinders them. Now, it's interesting to me, and I don't want you to get, not get this, so listen carefully. Interesting to me that David begins with the necessity of rest before anything else. There's no activity mentioned before rest. 
Satan knows that. Satan knows it, and to keep the sheep stirred up, he does what he can to hinder the rest that we need. He keeps church people so busy in good activities that the church has been placed in a position rather than be still and know I'm God. Do you actually take time to be still and know your God, know that He's God? There's nothing wrong with activities in a church. I talked with a lady, I think it was at the graduation. She was from out of town, and she says, you know, she says, I asked her how she was doing. She says, I'm doing pretty good, but I'm so tired. She says, we got something going on in our church all the time. She says, we haven't eaten at home in two weeks. She says, we're always doing something, and it's all good. Folks, be careful. David mentions first, rest. He makes me to lie down. You know, that's exactly what God does. You know what he did during COVID? He made us all lie down. Churches by the hundreds shut their doors. He wants us to rest. He causes many to be so busy they have no time to eat spiritual food, to gain the strength that they need to fight the devil and temptation. He produces fear in our lives that's magnified because we haven't rested in the Lord. He produces other believers around us to pester us like the flies do the sheep. And Jesus says, come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me will never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now notice where he causes them to lie down. Green pastures. Most of you have been to the Middle East. You know how many few green pastures there are? It's all rocks. Stones everywhere. Story told of a stork carrying a huge, huge sheet that was filled with little pebbles and so forth, and it broke over Israel. And everywhere you look, there's little rocks everywhere. Well, the shepherd has to go in and clean the rocks off to get down to the grasses so the sheep have a place to eat and lie down. Green pastures is where they're protected, well-watered, and sufficient nutrients in the grasses so that the sheep can grow and can thrive. It is interesting that the Green pastures are chosen by the shepherd, not the sheep. Know how often people take it into their own hands to try to pick out their own pastures. 
pastures that are weak in nutrition, pastures that have no protection, and so guess who gets hurt? The little lambs, the kids. Look at our country, folks. Look at our country and what's happening to our kids. Hello? Hello? Remember the Old Testament Haggai? Describe God's people this way. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink and are not filled with drink. You know, our souls sometimes get famished. Our bodies tired, our nerves jaded. And we can't last very long in that circumstance. Our great shepherd is mindful of this. And because he's pledged himself to preserve the sheep, he must act. And so he does act, and he makes us lay down. Quit all the activity. Lay down. Rest in him. Secondly, he provides refreshment beside the still waters. It says, he leadeth me beside still waters to refresh The idea of leading has the idea of taking us by the hand and leading us to a place of refreshment. And it's not by the wild river, it's by still waters. For centuries, helpless and condemned souls vainly sought to provide their own waters only to degenerate into further hopelessness. Jeremiah says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me in the fountain of living water and hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that pathetic thing still exists today. Spiritually thirsty, their souls famished, and they continue in their search. Neglecting to come to Christ, they know nothing of the still waters. You know, a lot of Christians are like Peter. Peter would have said, yeah, I follow the Lord. But what's the New Testament say? He followed afar off. He was still following. How are you following him today? How many so-called children of God followed like Peter did in the New Testament? And if they do come close to still waters, they won't lie down because of one problem or another. And what about these still waters? You know, sheep are scared to death of water that's swift. The churning, bubbling streams, they're not for sheep. Sheep, if they fall in, their heavy wool coat will get soaked and it'll sink them to the bottom and they'll die. They know that. So the shepherd leads leads them to still waters or quiet waters. There's something else. There's a great word picture in this still water. As you go to the still water, the sheep looks over the bank. And he looks in there and he sees his reflection. And as he's drinking, he sees the reflection of himself. 
There's something about folks looking into the water of the word and seeing our reflection so that we can see our flaws and we can deal with those things that are in our lives that are not pleasing to the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall never be in want, David said. He makes me lie down for the rest I need. He leads me to the calm, mirror-like waters to allow me to continually be refreshed. Then he provides restoration. He says, he restoreth my soul. And I thought on that one for a while. Nobody wanted to touch it. You know, I love these commentators that they get to a tough passage and all of a sudden they skip it. With all the shepherd does for the sheep, it's hard to understand how some would wander off. But we do wander, don't we? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But we do wander. On the narrow paths in Israel, with all the grasses and sometimes crops of grain growing alongside the path that the shepherd leads his sheep, there are distractions. And sometimes it gets the best of the sheep. One little step aside, and then another distraction, another step aside, and then another one, another step aside, and all of a sudden he looks around and he can't see the shepherd. And he's lost. I believe what David is saying here, the shepherd's presence was required to restore the sheep. And you know the story in John 10 about the shepherd leaving and going out and rescuing the one sheep. And that's a beautiful picture. But I want you to understand that the word for restore has a little deeper meaning than all of that. Remember David as he strayed from the path of purity? Went after Bathsheba committed adultery, and that sin led to another, and then to another, then to another, until Nathan the prophet came, confronted him, and David turned from his sin, confessed it, and got forgiveness from God. But in Psalm 51, he says later in the psalm, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You know, there's folks that have been saved for years and years and years and years, and they are unhappy people because they can't get past the guilt of what they did in the past. But God's put it, as we heard the other day, down in the depths of the deep blue sea, Marvel not, you will wander again, because that's who we are. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. David wasn't asking, when he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation, he wasn't asking for forgiveness. He knew he was already forgiven. 
that word restore used 900 times in the Bible. has the idea of rescuing, renewing. And the word soul, though it's translated soul most of the time, it's also translated life. Restore to me my life. So what David is saying here is because the Lord is his shepherd and because he causes me to rest and lay down because he takes me beside the still waters of refreshment. Now, return to me my life. Return to me my strength. Return to me all that I need to walk in paths of righteousness. That's what David's saying. And it's because the Lord is his shepherd. And then he provides righteousness. He leads me the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now that David has had his needed rest and is refreshed by still waters and senses a new spiritual renewal, restoration, and revival in his life, he now can follow right paths. You know, we have, we've got it backwards when it comes to our kids. We tell them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this when we ought to be sharing with them, rest in the Lord. Go by the still waters. Get in the book. And let the Spirit of God work upon their hearts so that they know right paths. Tell me something. No, don't tell me, because I already know the answer. Why does the Lord have to deal with sheep like that? Can I be just honest with you? Sheep are stupid. They're the dumbest animal on the planet. And God has a sense of humor. He he says, that's how my people are. We warn them. We give them the word of God. We, We indwelt them by the spirit of God. We have churches everywhere and people still wander. And they do it over and over and over and over again. All we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have wandered. And then we influence others to do the same. And we turned everyone to his own way. Now notice the phrase. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That phrase is used four times in the Word of God. I'm going to read them. He restoreth my soul, leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 106, verse 8. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. 1 John 2, 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. 3 John 7, because that for his name's sake they went forth. I read one writer, and he shared this idea, and I think he's right. For his name's sake means that our lives 
can be a memorial to God. And our salvation is a memorial to our God. In our sanctification, it's a memorial to our God. When we go soul winning and we go out for the sake of his name, it's a memorial to our God. With the understanding that Jesus is a permanent shepherd, a personal shepherd, a providing shepherd, and a purposeful shepherd, and his purpose is to give us rest and refreshment and renews our life and so that we can walk in right paths. So let me ask you, how you doing? You can be busy in the church and be away from your shepherd. You can come to every activity this church has. You'll be tired, but you can come to every activity this church has and be away from your shepherd. This is a personal thing, folks. And I think sometimes people want to stay busy so they don't have to deal with the personal thing. Are you saved? I mean, are you really saved? How is your testimony? Do you live separated from the world? Are you sure you have a relationship with God and his family? So David, with all of his faults, yet he realized, finally, he could be on the right path. Let every one of us here tonight ask this question. Knowing, knowing ourselves as we do, could we append these words? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Have you experienced that? He leadeth me and refreshes me beside the mirror-like glassy water. He restores my soul. He renews my life. He leadeth me in right paths for his great, glorious, holy name, a memorial unto our God. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word. And dear Lord, I pray tonight that every time we hear Psalm 23, we'd be reminded of how a flawed man could have such a personal and intimate relationship with his God. I thank you for the life of David, and I thank you nothing was covered. We pray tonight. As David learned the lesson of going down right paths, we might learn that lesson too. Father, help us to rest in you. Help us to take time to be refreshed by the still water. 
Help us, O oh God, to seek your face in everything we do. That we might be a memorial, a testimony to the fact that you are indeed our shepherd. Bless each and every one tonight, I pray. In the name of our Lord, our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thank mm-hmm. you.